Hello there and welcome to the Law Blacks one-to-one podcast. My name's Chris Allen. I'm the managing partner of Black Solicitors. Over the last 25 years, I've met some interesting people in Leeds. And over the next few weeks, I intend to catch up with some of those people to share some of their views and stories with you. I hope you'll find the interviews interesting, engaging and even educational. My guest today is Duncan McCarthy of golf management company Underpin Sports. In his previous role, Duncan was a performance coach and dealt with both sport and business clientele. So today, I hope we're going to hear some stories about his life in the so-called glamorous world of sport and learn a bit more about performance coaching and what sports management is in 2019. So, uh, Duncan, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're more than welcome. So let's get back to basics. Let's cover off a couple of points there. Just tell me and tell the listeners, what is sports management? You hear this phrase, but yeah. what, what is it from your perspective? Yeah, from our perspective, um, there's there's different arms to it with what we offer with Underpin. Um, everything from the admin and logistics, the off-course support, the sponsorship and the corporate work. Um, and, it, and it kind of can go through to social media and helping the player uh, get aligned with the right brands and what have you. So this is a focus on an individual, not on a club? So your services are to Absolutely. an individual player. Exactly. I know, I know in the underpin is a golf in the golf arena. Yeah, yeah. But but the services sports management in this instance is for people, individuals, not individuals. so much a team of, you know, not a basketball team Absol- or a. No, no, no. This is yeah. This is total individuals. Um, so we have all that, but then where we kind of differ a little bit between our, where there's a difference between ourselves and and, our, and other sports management companies is my role. Um, obviously, my history is as a performance coach working with individuals and teams, and that's what I do with the players on a day-to-day basis. So we're, we're fortunate we have some um, great corporate partners, including yourself, um, and but <laughs> but we have on a day-to-day basis I'm working with the players and their performance because it's all well and good talking about oh yeah we'll try and get them sponsorship we'll try and do this but the sponsorship comes on the back of good performances not the other way around and I think people get a little bit misguided with that that yeah so, so you hear again you hear that phrase don't you performance coach yeah. and you can sometimes I, I think people might look at that cynically think oh what is this mumbo jumbo or they might yeah. say oh my god that's the dark art of psychology yeah, you know what? What is performance coach? <laughs> it, um, that is a hard question, and I'm the one who's been doing it for ten years. Uh, it it varies massively. Yes, you could argue and say it's a form of psychology because everything that I do links back to what goes on between the ears. Essentially, you look at anything that we do in any walk of life, any any reaction to anything, any response, any behaviour, any action. Uh, it all starts in the brain. It all starts there. So my role with a player can can be different day to day. It can be, especially with the golfers, it can be directing their their performance on course. So, for example, last week I was down in London at uh, the first event of the year for the Euro Pro, and I was observing the players performing. Um, so I'm writing down notes, having feedback sessions with them after, and then I was directing practice before the second round where we thought it was appropriate. Um, just spe- literally just before I stepped in this office uh, this afternoon I've just been on the phone to a lad who's just finished his first round just having a bit of a debrief how did it go what can we do this afternoon just little pointers nudging him keeping him on track um, so it can vary from that it can it can be a, 
a very in-depth conversation where we're in we're behind private doors mm. um and they're they're kind of telling me almost on very, almost on the couch as it were uh, yeah pretty yeah. much chris yeah and i really i've really gone deep with a lot of my clients in the past um to the point where i'm probably the only one on the planet who knows mm. the stuff that they've told me and that's high confidential um um, information mm. that we have between ourselves and sometimes that can help them so it it really does vary uh, but the the one thing that the common denominator between everything that I do is it's is it's trying to lead the player or the team whenever whenever I was working with teams to a better performance on their field of play on the course on the track in the pool wherever it was and I guess this is a two-way thing isn't it I mean I can be a player I could be a golfer and I'm not really still a footballer but <laughs> I could be a golfer and I need. I need to. I, yeah, it's two to tango, isn't it? I need to be proactive about this as well, don't I? It's all very well you just telling yeah. me stuff. And, it, and is that what you're finding with the players? Is there is there yeah. a open mindedness to to, to engage? A hundred percent. You're absolutely bang on with that. I've before underpin. I had my own business for ten plus years um, as a performance coach. And one thing I never really did was advertise, because somebody has to come to me to have that open mind you can't really force someone's mind to be open to those sorts of things because let's be honest most people in this world are kind of like no don't touch my mind I know how it works and I'm fine so it takes a very I call it a growth mindset to be open to new ways of thinking and approaching things this podcast is needless to say sponsored by Black Solicitors Blax is a law firm based in Leeds. We provide a range of commercial, property and private client services to clients throughout the United Kingdom. Obviously, I'd love you to enjoy this podcast and then use our services on any legal issues you have going forward. If you visit lawblacks.com, you'll see the kind words that existing clients have had to say about the services we provide. Now, back to the podcast. Do you think that the success of Team Sky and the cycling and the British cycling team and uh, David Brailford's uh, involvement and that idea of you know it isn't just about the cycling it's uh, it's all the other things it's the right pillow it's the right bed it's the right rest <laughs> and all these things yeah, you know yeah, yeah. What a, you know whatever do you see that that is why sports people today are more willing to engage with performance coaching because yeah. they see a a hundred percent. I honestly think that you know, a lot of people talk negatively about the social platforms that are out there now, but. And yes, there is there is the the darker side to it with what goes on, especially with youngsters. But from a business point of view and a growth point of view and self development, I think it's created um, amazing avenues to learn and progress and things like that. With Dave Brailsford, you know the one percent margins. Twenty years ago, nobody would have known about that because unless if it was on one of the four channels on TV and there was a documentary about him, wouldn't know. Now. Loads of people are talking about it because it's and it stemmed from him, and and it's opened new doors, which is I I think is fantastic. But mm. you you talk about those little margins, the you know the pillow, the the tiny little things that people overlook. They are so important. A great example was just last week, one of our players, Jamie. He's he, a smashing young man. They all are, and he returned from Australia uh, beginning of April. And he was in a very bad place, you know, maybe to the point of a form of depression, a a very mild case, but he was rock bottom. And he had some firm words from me, honest but brutal. And fair play to him, he took it on board. He was amazing with it. But the things we talked about was 
even feedback, you know, I'll never just slate someone and say, oh, blah, blah, blah. I'll always give them a solution or, or an option at the end. One of the things I said to him was, Jamie, you look tired on the course. You look scruffy. You don't look like a winner. And it's not about having all the shiny, all the glistening stuff. You know, not, it, it's not a case of all fur coat and no knickers. You need some substance behind it. But present yourself as a winner would present yourself. You know, your clothes look tired. Get yourself out there. Go get some fresh clothes. Feel good. Don't don't wear dirty golf shoes. Wear clean golf shoes. Little things like that. And most most people would probably listen to that and go, how's that going to help his golf? Yeah, I could do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, couldn't we all? That, yeah, if that was a secret, yeah. yeah. Um, so that's one example. And there were so many other little things. And beginning last week, I turned up on the Tuesday morning and he, and he, and he texted me saying, I really could do with a bit of time. And he said, I haven't got a structured warm-up. I actually don't know what I'm doing and I'm meant to be professional. And I said, that's okay. I said, that's fine. We'll put something in place. So we put it in place and he had a three-day tournament. And I said, right, Jay, I said, every day I want 33% putting on the board. I want you to smash this warm-up. Just follow what I've asked you to do or what we work together on. And every day you do it well and you cool down, that's 33% in the pot. By the end of the week, I won that 100%. And he smashed it, and he finished tied eighth. He was leading up on, on on day two at at, um, at one stage, and it it was a phenomenal it was a phenomenal finish, and it was just an insight to what can happen when you tap into these little what we call now one percents. Because because I'd imagine you know if you got all your golf players here, all your clients in the room, I bet they're all good, aren't they? About aren't they all really good golfers? I yeah. mean, you know, for the yeah. average person in the street to go plov, play golf with them would be great, wouldn't it? Yeah. But then. There is something, isn't there, between the, the true yeah. winners? Yeah, so, absolutely. So when it comes to clients coming to you, I mean, you've just said there that they come to you rather than you advertising, etc. Mm. How do you vet people out? Because, <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah. you know, we're, in our business, yeah. people come through the door. We take on a majority of the work that comes through the door. We don't take mm. everything on. How do you vet out somebody? Yeah, it, it's evolved uh, since we started Underpin. It was, very, it, it was very different for when I was... I had my own business. Um, I would, I'd have people come to me and you know, you get emails, texts, whatever, phone calls, and I'd always meet up with them. And the first meeting that I had with a client was just um, a get to know one another because as much as they've come to me, they might sit down for an hour with me and decide it's not really my cup of tea. You know, I'd like to think I'm everybody's cup of tea, wouldn't we all? But it doesn't always work that way. So the first conversation that I used to have was a chat, just have a chat about personal things you know what's your likes dislikes about your sport that's important what your goals dreams and that's kind of evolved now with underpin where we have we have certain players who we want to speak to um, and we have that plan in place and we're executing it but what we do with our players now is we have a formal structure where we have an in, we do an insight with the player so we sit down and, and, and greg and myself um sit down and and follow this through so we talk about goals and dreams where they're at what benefit they can get from um, underpin what they believe is important and then the final thing is what are their priorities and we list our services and ask them to prioritize them and ultimately it's the performance coaching and support from me that we want the buy-in from the player but we can't force them that buy that buy-in it's got to come from them so you know we've had some players where we've we've turned away five or six players because we don't feel the fit's right and that's okay. That's not a problem at all. Um, not everything's going to fit, but we believe that we're forming the right, the right, I guess, mentality, but the players who believe in the same principles that we do. Almost and, a culture. It, it, Almost. Uh, culture is yeah. such a strong word um, yeah. and so undervalued. Mm. 
I think it's it's massively important with with myself, with Greg, with his um, I would say previous uh, other existing business. Um, culture's huge and principles. Um, that's a big thing because we we've come into an industry which is it's a little bit opaque. It's, it's a bit distrusted, if I'm honest. Um, and that's that's coming from players who I spoke to over the last few years. So we yeah, again, if you if it. you if you chatted to. Um, uh, a sports fan on the street and said you were an agent not everybody would uh, pat you on the back yeah. they're possibly quite jealous yeah, particularly in the football <laughs> yeah. world yeah. but again in the sports management it's um you know you, you're covering a broad, broad, broad brush there but yeah. the performance coach is an interesting aspect isn't it yeah it is Almost, and that's and, and and more more and more sports management companies using performance coaching as well as a as a as a mm. tool or as a, an added feature I, I don't think they are. I'm pretty sure they're not, um, because it ultimately comes down to individual involved. Uh, I, you know, with my background, we can do that. If I didn't have the background and the success to back it up, we couldn't do what we're doing. We'd have to do it differently. Um, and I get massive support from Greg. He's, you know, it's all well and good me being a coach, but I need support as well. And he's 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 huge for me because he's someone I can turn to and bounce things off. Because otherwise, you're giving and giving and giving your energy. Where does it get topped back up towards yeah. you? So it's it's a great relationship in that respect from a professional standpoint. Um, but the, a lot of the players have their own teams, performing performance teams, and then a management company. Yeah. What we're looking at, where we are creating, we're doing it, is that kind of basically almost that family where we can provide that. But I will also work with their technical coaches, with their nutritionists, with their fitness trainers. So part of my role as well is pulling that team together. And this is what golfers have in this day and age, is it? They have the nutritionist, they have the, the fitness trainer, they have... Because there's, there's a perception that perhaps golf is slightly a lonely yeah. existence. A lot of travelling, isn't yeah. there? A lot of travelling around, flying around, going to different places. It's um, Yeah, it's tough. It is tough. And, you know... You, on TV, you see the best players in the world having their best weeks. So no wonder they're smiling walking down the fairways. Yeah. You go turn those cameras on the guy who's just lost, uh, just lost, who's just missed the last six or seven cuts, which means he's earned no money. His family's back at home. He's, one of his kids is ill, and they're off school, and the mum's stressing out, and this and that, and oh, the mortgage has still got to be paid. You know, turn the cameras on those guys because there's a lot of them out there. So it's not. All glitz and glamour, unfortunately. Um, well, no, I sort of half joked in the introduction, didn't I? That it was glamorous or not yeah. so glamorous, but yeah, uh, that's right, isn't it? So, mm. I mean, when you see some of the certainly the, the you know the masters, etc., and you see some of these golf courses, you think, "Wow, look at that place! That looks fantastic." Yeah. But what's it like when you arrive at one of these courses? Because I mean, obviously, you're part of the players' team. Yeah, yeah. How welcome are you by golf clubs just out of interest? <laughs> um, Without naming it, names. To, yeah, to be fair, they're very welcoming. They are, they, you know, because it's their, it's their week. It's their on show. Their, it's their performance as well. Uh, so whether it's a Euro Pro, a Challenge Tour, or a main tour event, European Tour, um, it's it's the club's week. You know, they're, they're hosting it, so they want to make everybody feel welcome. But uh, take, for example, like last year, I was at a high number of events and you're arriving on pretty much the Tuesday. Well, the event starts on the Thursday. There's no real spectators, so there's loads going on behind the scenes. Um, so you kind of, you're bopping about doing your thing. But from my point of view, I'm there to work. I'm not there as a spectator, really. Um, so you kind of, you use, you, you're popping on the tour vans where the, the um, 
sort of have all the clubs and what have you and all the hardware and the players go on and get tweaks and, and things made up for them. Um, you're on the range with the player, you know, making sure that they're focused and doing the right things. You're out on the course observing. Uh, so it's, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes. Um, and and do you have access all areas, you know, at that yeah. point when you rock up to the golf course, you know, prior to a tournament started? Is it yeah. absolutely fine for you to wander out here, there and everywhere? Or? It, not necessarily. You know, you can if you get a coach's pass, there's certain areas that you can't go. Um, certain event, It varies tournament to tournament. Um, but you, sometimes, some weeks you can't go in the players' locker room. Uh, some other weeks you can't go in the players' lounge, which is just reserved for players and family. Uh, so it varies, but generally, if you get, for example, a coach's pass, then a coach really needs to be on course, on the putting green, on the chipping green, on the uh, on the range. So you get a pass that gets you on those places, and you kind of get to the range, and there's a big board. Security guard has the board, and he's got all the pictures of all the passes, right. and he knows what, what lets you on. It's normally colour-coded, yeah. um, so he'll let you on and what have you, so... And, and what, as a young, just, I'm sorry to diverge here, but, it, but it's interesting uh, for me. Uh, so a young player, young golf player, goes to a tournament, could be anywhere down south, say somewhere. Yeah. They have to get themselves there. They have yeah. to put their own accommodation together. This is presumably where you guys come in and assist, sort of yeah. taking some of that admin off them. How do they eat? What do they drink? Is there anything provided? Yeah. Or is it very um, much, you know, yeah, your ear son... Further, I know, no, I know where you're going. Yeah. If you're Euro Pro level, for example, where we were last week, the first one of the year, um, that is that's all on you. That is all on you. Now I have to say the Euro Pro toys, I really rate it, and I've seen it. I actually played that got a number of years ago now, and it's a great tour, and I've seen it progress every year, which is great. But the players are there for themselves. Um, they're driving down there themselves. They are booking their own accommodation. Now, we are there to help our players, but they all turn around and say, look, we don't, we don't need that. It's fine. We're happy to do it ourselves. So they book their own accommodation. Um, you know, <laughs> Jamie, I'm sat doing a debrief with Jamie and he's, bless him, he's pulling out his homemade sandwich wrapped in foil because mm. it saves a bit of money. Yeah. Um, you know, the, that's, that's kind of that level. And then you progress to Challenge Tour. I'll be at the Challenge Tour next week. It's in Switzerland and there'll be a player's lounge there probably for the players. So they will be able to get breakfast, lunch and an early dinner if they want it potentially. Um, so that's laid on for them. And then you get to the top level European tour. I mean, you've worked hard to get there, um, but the benefits there are frightening. I mean, you turn up, um, you know, I was even booking cars that have courtesy cars that take the players pretty much wherever they want to go. Um, once you land, there's a car there waiting for them. So, it, it, you know, some weeks BMW will put the cars on, Porsche put the cars on at the European Open. Um, so, so at that it's, level, it's getting better and better. Hundred percent. So, if you can get into that level, oh. then, then life's a little bit. But then, of course, once you're in it, you don't want to fall out of it, do you? Well, there is that as well, Chris. And you know, I had it um, last year. There was a young man who who got his card, and he was struggling early on. And he fell out of his depth, and, um, and and we met and did some work, and he'd earned twenty grand up to the time we'd met. And I, the first time I met him, I kind of observed him from about twenty, thirty yards away. That's kind of kind of what I do with a player on the first meeting. I just step back and just see the whole picture, and just dropped in a few little things because he's he's a very good player. That's why he's at that level. Just few little things were needed slotting in, and just a bit of awareness brought to certain areas. So. 
we kind of worked on those a little bit, but also remembering, or always remembering, is playing tournaments. So we can't be overthinking because that will cripple you. Um, so it was just about dropping it in gently and at the right time. And you know, by the end of the year, he, he actually earned just under two hundred grand. So it was quite a big impact. But you, he, it was very new to him. I, I call it the circus. As you go up the tours, the circus gets bigger. And with the circus, it's very easy to get distracted by it because you go from your Oprah away, you take your clubs and that's what you've got. So if you snap a club or something happens, that's hard luck, unfortunately. Yeah. You get to the main tour where you've got tour vans there who can, you turn around and go, oh, I've just snapped my club against a tree or whatever. Boom, within half an hour, you can have a club made up and that's it sorted. That's where you're at. You know, it's it's like a toy shop for. And, for and are, there, are, there, are there other? I suppose there are other distractions. Are there um, the press, the the, yeah. the 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 fans, perhaps even at that level? Yeah. You know, these are all things that can distract. I mean, what's your rule to players during a? Um, let's say they've got through the cut. Do you say to them, "Hey, no going out tonight"? I mean, do I, am mm. I naive to think you hear a footballer's years ago, don't you? Night before the game, we're all off out. It's great. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Yeah, yeah. Great laugh. Yeah. You know, what what's the what's the score in the golf world? Is it a sort of a no no to go out for a drink or in the evening? Yeah, or? you don't if if a player's made a cut, you, it's kind of self explanatory. It's like right, I've, so basically a golfer uh works to work weekends. She's a bit backward to most people. But if they're working weekends they're earning money. If they're not working weekends, they're not earning money. So, you know, you kinda of get through the tournament and nowadays you they're not really going out. You know, if they miss a cut on a Friday and they're flying home Saturday, do you know what? They'll probably go out for a few. <sighs> no issue with that. You know, just have a cut off from the week. Let's go again. Um, if they're in the right frame of mind, they'll be looking at it. I have a philosophy of you either win or learn. You don't win or lose. Um, so you, you might have a night out and let it explode and what have you. But then the next day you get yourself home or you get to the next event or and you analyze and you look at what you can do better what you want to do better the next week what was good because there can still be good things in a poor performance um but if you've made the cut those guys kind of it's self-explanatory what they do they, they tend to go around in the little pockets you know french guys will stick with the french guys spanish yeah. with the spanish and some might have family there so they go out for quiet meals but they are friends with each other or friendly with each other it yeah. isn't as totally isolated not at all i'm not speaking to you you know. Yeah, not at all. At each event, you have kind of uh, recommended hotels. So that will be where there's a big discount for the players. So there'll be a lot of players in one or two hotels. And you're out there every week in the same environment. So you get to know guys and you play with them. You spend four or five hours on a course with them. So relationships start rolling. And then you say, oh, do you want to go out for a bite to eat? And I experienced that even at EuroPro. You, know, you meet great people and you go out for a, you know, Europro, you've got most popular restaurant on Europro is Nando's. <laughs> so it's frightening because uh, they're everywhere. So the guys will go out there, they'll get the bottomless drinks, they'll get chicken and chew the fat, um, so to speak, and then back to the hotel rooms and off they go. And that happens at every level, you know, they go out. So. so when things are going, like all things in life, isn't it? When things are going well, it's easy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. What what are you allowed or not allowed to do if a, a golfer is halfway around a course and he's just having a disaster and you're sat, stood there watching, thinking, well, I could rectify this in two minutes if he... Mm. Are you allowed to speak to the players during the course? No, no, no you're not. Once they're off, they're off, are they? That's, I mean. Yeah, that is unfortunately it. Well, I say unfortunately, it is what it is. Um, but yeah, it's... Uh, oh gosh, I've had so many times where I've been out there and I'm I'm looking at the player going, I know... 
you're just going down the wrong avenue there. God, if only I could just say something or drop him a note. You, but you can't do that. To and if you did, part of what, the, what's the penalty? Would they be disqualified? Um, would it be a DQ? I mean, I'm, I'm, in my mind's eye, potentially, I, I, yeah. In my mind's eye, I'm looking down the course. I see you waving at me, doing some sort of semaphore. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> thinking, oh yeah, I need to, yeah. you know, sharpen yeah. up a bit. Uh, yeah, I, but it's just not you know, done. Actually, it's not. You it's don't just see not done thing, performance yeah. coaches stepping out onto the course. No, and and also, Chris, that. Say, for example, we have that situation. There's a player out there and uh, nine holes have had a stinker of a front nine and I know exactly what they've done wrong or, or can see something crumbling and just and I go over to them and say, oh, do this, this and this on the back nine, you'll be fine. That's fine. And they probably will, I'd, I'd like to think, they'll have a good back nine and they'll finish off strong. But the problem with that is that they've relied on me giving them information to help them. I'm always looking at the bigger picture going, no, I want them to learn the hard way. So for this round, they might have a poor performance, but one round, will it be remembered in five years? Nope. Will it be remembered in a year, in three weeks? Nope. So I want them to learn the hard way so that it gives me a greater opportunity for learning with them and, te- and coaching them. So if I've had a, let's say I've had a, uh, a shocking round yeah, and I come off the course... How long is it before, and you're my performance coach, how long will it be before you and I sit down? Um, um, and, and let's assume I'm on any tour, doesn't matter. Yeah. How long How long before I'm going to sit down with you and really talk through that round? Varies. Uh, it varies, but there should always be a gap, really, uh, because it doesn't matter if it was a good performance or a poor one. You've, you've still got that emotion that's an adrenaline running, and that needs to settle down. Uh, before you can, before the player's ready to discuss. Some players come off and they're like, boom, straight on it. And then it's my role to go, let's just have a sandwich, let's have a coffee or whatever, let's have a chat, chill, go on your phone, get up to date with the messages, whatever you want to do, and then we'll have a chat. Um, so it's, it's just about putting them in just a, a nice, calm setting, and then you can discuss it. Because sometimes when emotion gets in, it gets clouded, and you don't get the real impact of what you want to do. And what's the hardest bit of the job as a performance coach then, is it? Um, the hardest bit? I mean, I've just come off the course. I just want to smash my clubs up and smash the clubhouse <laughs> yeah. up and smash yeah. everybody up. And, um, you, know, uh, you know... I think the hardest bit is is sometimes the observing, being out on the course, you know, and, and, and watching a player unfold with a poor performance, knowing that they can effect change themselves knowing that you can't do anything about it till after that's tough um it's a strange one that because when i find things that are tough in the job it's just a challenge to overcome myself because as much as i work with players who have goals i don't really share my own performance goals with people but i've shared them with a couple of players and i've let them know look this is what i want to achieve as a coach and you can see it in the face it has an impact because they sit there and go, wow, this guy who I'm working with wants to achieve himself. Um, so I know I'm always growing and how I coach three years ago is very different to how I coach now. How I coach five, ten years ago is, oh, wow, it's chalk and cheese. And there'll be certain little things I still, be- not believe in, but um, discuss with players and how I go about it. But I hope that I'm not the same coach in three years as I am today. Mm. Um, I'd like to think I'll be a better coach because I'm growing yeah. as well as the players. So. And the the players, in your experience over the years, do you find that they always want to get better and better and better? Or is there a little bit where people can become 
a big fish in a small pond. You know, there's different levels out there in golf, different yeah, yeah. tours. Yeah. Can I be a good on the Challenger tour, be a big noise in that? And do you find people settle for that or... Am I sort of being slightly cynical? Suggesting no, you do, that? you do get that. Um, I think a lot of it's to do with comfort zones. How prepared you are to step out of your comfort zone? Because, like you use the examples, Euro Pro is like third tier of European golf. Challenge is second tier, and then your top tier is European. Well, going from Euro Pro, Euro Pro is 16 weeks of the year in the UK. So you're in your car driving to your events. You go to Challenge, and you're getting on a plane every week. You're not. In fact, there's no event in England anymore. So you are literally on a plane every single week, going all over. I mean, those guys are going to China now. It's mm. not really European tour; it's more world tour. So they're going everywhere. That takes great adjustment, you know. And if you're, uh, I, my brother, he he got to Challenge Tour when he was 22, I think it was. Big thing for him that you know he's gone from Euro Pro, did exceptionally well as an amateur, f- phenomenal amateur, um, brilliant, brilliant professional start to it. Uh, start to his professional career but then all of a sudden gets a challenge tour card and and do you know that's a, it's a big thing because you're getting mm. on a plane you've got to do it yourself you got you can't afford to take people with you you know it, it's a it's a for young lads in the 20s it's, it's and, and that's where mental strength is needed yeah absolutely you. it's and and do you know chris you when you're on tour you spend a lot of time in a hotel room by yourself and the guys who are comfortable doing that are ready to fly. Yeah. You know, we talk about performance and everybody goes, oh, how do you make a footballer better, Dunk? Well, a lot of it is to do with off the course. Ollie McBurney, what an example. Um, a golfer. Yeah, wonderful. I've had loads of success stories and they've gone through the ranks, but most of the work's been done off the course, away from that. Uh, that's a big factor, is that. You know, so you get a golfer who uh, doesn't go to the hotel room beating themselves up after the round because they've had a good chat with a team member and goes back there and goes, yep, I'm chilling out and I'm going to have a snooze and I'm going to watch Netflix and go out for some food. Or you get the golfer who goes back and goes, I'm not watching Netflix. I can't believe what I've done. This is a joke. And, and you know, that voice in the head, we've all got it. It just gets louder and louder and more unhelpful, more unhelpful than the stress, the anxiety, the depression, everything rolls. It, it, it can get out of control quick. So it's about getting the player comfortable in their own environment and their own skin. Because if you do that, actually the four or five hours on a golf course, that's the, that becomes the easy bit because that's the bit they enjoy that's why we started this game yeah. those, are, those are in it I, if I, if I, that's one of my go-tos if I whether it's a golfer or a football or a gymnast or whatever well it's just golfer now but if they are lost and they're really really struggling my go-to is always it's not a go-to but I just remind them of why did you come back and play this sport the second time it's because they enjoyed it the first time and if you lose that enjoyment you've lost your roots to the game. And and if somebody lost their roots in life, we'd say, oh, they've lost the roots. They've, I don't know, they've won the lottery and they've, you know, they've kind of they've moved on and they've forgotten about this and that. And you always want to keep your roots, but progress. And, and I always remind them, let's get back to enjoyment. And I've had times like that where I've just gone, let's go and have some fun. So I'll say, we're not having a session today. I'll come and play with you. Let's have a laugh and a giggle and take the mick out of each other and get back to why we love the sport. You know, yeah. we were all kids at one time. So. so you're dealing with golf now. You're, you're really focusing on golf. But yeah. in the past, you dealt with other sports. Yeah. Is there a, you know, if you had five sports people here, a netballer, a basketballer, a, an athlete, a runner, a, a, you know, a footballer, rugby league player, golfer, 
are they are they really all the same, or is there is there any, is there a real difference between the mentality of all these sports people? Uh, no, I just think their arenas are different. You know what they walk onto to perform. You know, some like you say, some walk onto a basketball court, netball court, tennis court, jump into a pool, um, go onto the gymnast floor uh, on the golf course. That changes, mm. but the the art of getting the most out of yourself and fulfilling potential in performance and training that's that's a pattern yeah. uh, 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 with, with whatever sport you're in and, and business as well you know we, we all turn up to perform we're all performers in our own little way and mm. and it's maximizing those on the good days and the bad days you know still getting something out of it so if you were if um you were you were stood here now with a um a sport let's say it's a boxer a you know, any sport will do. 18 years old, got potential, obviously done well at junior level. What What are the What are the tips? What would you say to that 18 year old? What's the without giving all your tips away? What What What's the the main thing you're going to say to this person? Who's just Who's just kind of taken that leap? Yeah, into, just starting into professional sport. Yeah, well, do you know? And I know you've given boxing, but this happens a lot uh, in golf. The a lot of uh, pretty much all of our guys represented England as amateurs and very good amateur careers. They're looked after. They're the creme de la creme of amateur golf. They've reached the pinnacle. The day they turn pro, boom, you're straight back at rock bottom. That is a big. That is a big thing because now you're in a new pond, and this new pond don't give two hoots what you did in that other little pond with a label of amateur because now you're in the professional ranks, and it's that adjustment that a lot of lads struggle with and it's the same in any other sport you know mm. you go from the youth level to signing your professional forms you go from amateur boxing to prof- and by the way I don't profess to know loads about boxing mm. far from it but going from the amateur boxing ranks to the professional amateur ranks I can only imagine it's exactly the same you know mm. you kind of it's a brand new pond and it's not it's not the skills that you have to improve massively you've, you've turned professional because you're good and there's a reason for it it's the adjustment that needs to have more focus. And, you know, Jamie Bauer, who's, who's with us, he was 12th best amateur in the world. He won the, he won the Brabazon Trophy in 2016. That is, in my book, one of the best amateur events you could win. It's a four-round stroke play. It's, it is what it is. It's kind of a, it is what it says on the can. It's a proper, proper job. And reaching number 12 in the world, that's huge. And he travelled around the world winning events. Class act. First two years as a pro, done nothing. Last week was probably the highlight of his pro career. It's just staggering. But it was the adjustment. He struggled with it. And the reason he struggled with it is, bless him, he didn't have a team. No. Because you turn pro, well, England golf don't want to know about it because you can't help us anymore. You're pro. All the best. Thank you for helping us. But see ya. Yeah, yeah, different world. Yeah, if you haven't got your team around you, of which a lot of these lads haven't because they can't afford it, it was provided by England... You're by yourself, that is a lonely place. And how long how long has a professional golfer got to make it? You know, if I get my card yeah. for the European tour, yeah. how long have I what do I have to I have to get points do I have to keep my card? Yeah, yeah, and, you do. But you know, obviously losing it, not great, presumably. No, no, it's not. I mean it, it, you go from Euro Pro to in in fact a real easy way to explain it, just to get a feel for it, is if you have one of our players won the Euro Pro Tour last year. And he's on challenge now. Well, he won 42 grand, just over 42 grand. That's fantastic. He had a phenomenal year. Most winners of the tour win about 30 grand. But then you go to challenge. And if you win challenge, unless if you have an unbelievable year, you're looking at about 150 grand you've earned. 
you then win European tour, and you're talking four, five, three to five million winning. That jump, I mean, it's a big jump from Euro Pro to Challenge, but it's one hell of a jump from Challenge to European. Don't get me wrong, it's not, (laughs) I've made it sound easy. Yeah, win that old America, we're far from it. But the earning potential is massive at the top level, and all the guys know it. See, and, and if we saw all the uh, top players now, would they all have a performance coach? Not all of them, but it's becoming more and more evident that they do. Um, it's coming out of it's almost coming out of the woodwork almost that you know Francesco Molinari has had a performance coach for a number of years now. Um, wonderful, he can afford to have him there. You know, probably fly him out first class and he'll he'll look after him. And but it's worked hard to get there. Don't get me wrong. But once you're there, you can have your own personal performance coach because it's just you and, and and you see the importance and the value of it and you have the finances to get them there. Justin Rose, exactly the same. Uh, Matt Wallace, I think, has come out with it. All these guys have someone there. And mm. and what we're looking to do is, yeah, we, we want these guys to progress and we and we keep feeding it in at the bottom. But it, it's a massive thing. These, these guys have said, I want to get good on, at golf. I'm not bothered about sponsorship. I'm not bothered about this. I know it'll come on the back. I want to get good at golf and I want your support. And and that's where it's important, you know, having that advisor almost. And, what, and what's the, uh, you know, in your years of experience, what's, what's, what's been the most common sort of reason for failure in sports people? What what, what takes people eye yeah. off the ball and what, what does most, most things? Not everybody makes it all the time, do they? No, they, they don't. There's so many distractions out there. It's frightening. You know, it's... It, we, I, I remember doing a talk a while ago and on my phone alone I had I think it was 11 different forms of communication I see that as 11 different forms of distraction so if I'm sat there and I've got a task to do and I've got to get my head on it I've got my phone sat there there's 11 different opportunities for people to contact me and then I'm, I'm expected to do this piece of work well it's the same with a sports person a golfer's job is to get the ball around a field a nice looking field with 18 flags in it in the least amount of shots there's a lot of distractions going on around that, um, you know, personal distractions, professional distractions, whatever it might be. And and it's about remaining focused on that. And the ones who've tended to achieve have had everything off course sorted and they're in a good place. You know, it might be that um, a, a lot of some, not all, but some players, if they've just had the first child, the performance might dip. Guess what? That's life. Because they probably want to spend more time with the child than they do want to go out and practice. 100% get that. I'd never tell a player not to do that if they didn't want to because uh, it's important. But you tend to get the players who just settle nicely. They've got everything settled off course. It allows them to go to the course free of thought. Yeah. And you can't hit a golf ball with your mind. So I, we talk about, mentioned that word psychology. My job with all my performers over the years in any sport, in business, is to get them to perform without thinking. You, the only thinking, you, the only time you use your brain is to make a decision. The rest of it is body right. in sport. You know, you kick a football with your foot. You don't kick it with your mind, but you make the decision with what you're going to do with the football with your mind. But then after that, it's action, and it's getting them out of the mind of the the emotion and everything else that goes on. So, in terms of your own achievements with with clients, what would you say is the highlight of your career today? Um, there's different ones. There's different ones. Um, I think one was last year, early on, uh, just over a year ago. Uh, a young lad who's 12, he was 11 at the time, and he'd, his, his dad had asked me to caddy for him at this at the European kids up in Scotland. 
So I went up and it was a three round event and I'd explained to his dad how I was going to go about it. So I said on the first day, it's not about winning this tournament. It's about the big picture and I get to see something special here, some great learning opportunities. So I said on the first day, imagine I'm walking a dog and it's not on a lead. It can do what it wants. I said, that's what I'll be doing with him. On the second day, that dog will be on the tightest lead going, so they will follow my instructions, and I, I will let him know this. I said, on the last day, I'm going to let the lead go and pull it in when I need to and let it go. So he's growing, basically, but he's being managed as well and directed. I said, so we don't know what the performance will hold this week, but that's how I want to do it. Yeah, great, fine. I just he's, he's all yours. You go for it. And we did it, and the first day was not great um you know but it was hard to stand by and allow that to happen but i I had to be professional and i know his dad was walking around thinking do something don't do something but i'm like no bigger picture bigger picture second day i had him on a real tight lead and that day that second day was one of the highlights of my my career because what he achieved that day i i I had to hold it together afterwards because we're midway through a tournament. But what he'd achieved that day, I just saw a glimpse of this, what this kid's capable of. And he's only 11. And it absolutely, and his dad kind of gave me a hug after. And he said, that's just, to watch that was a pleasure. And to watch him with you was a pleasure. And that meant the world to me. That really struck some high emotion. Mm. Um, I think the other one was a young man who I've worked with three times now um, and been very close with. He... He came to me for the, I think it was the third time, and he, he, it was, I think it was November, uh, I forget what year, it was 14 or 15, and he said, don't come in, I'm in, I'm in trouble, I'm struggling, my whole life's a mess, and this and that, he was coming back from Egypt, from the tour champs, he'd done awful, he said, please, please, can I see you, and I said, yeah, no problem, come, so we started our journey, um, and that year he won twice on the Euro Pro, so he progressed to Challenge Tour, and he was doing okay. he wasn't doing well in the first half and I spent five hours sat on my laptop going through all his stats thinking there's there's something lacking here and I'd seen him play at Oxford and he was up in the top five and then on the 36th hole he had a nine and I'm just like what and he made the cut and I'm thinking he's done this all year so anyway to cut a long story short I, I sent him a long email the night before the Irish event thinking man this could go one of two ways he turns around and goes, what are you doing sending me an email like that the day before a tournament? Or he goes, wow, that's brilliant. What do I do this week? So he rings me up. Don't, that's amazing. I can't believe you found that. I said, well, yeah, you go out this week and do this, this and this. He finished second. Mm. And then it was a few weeks after that, he went to China and he's progressing nicely. He's doing well, but he's nowhere near really the top 15. He's up, he's up there, sort of. And it was the Foshan Open and he won it. And I remember seeing the scores I just sat with tears coming down my eyes I mean it gets me now to, yeah, to be honest sense speaking of, about real yeah. sense of achievement absolutely and I was just I would, because of the journey we'd had it wasn't it was far from it it was it was far from roses it was it, it was far from the glitz and the glam mm. it was it was tough because he went to Q school at one stage and he was pitching a tent at the bottom of the range and he was eat, literally eating bread and butter because he had no money He's, he, he'd had an awful childhood with his, losing his mum very, very young, um, shockingly. Mm. And his dad was struggling and what have you. So there was all that part of the story. And then you see that. So it, it wasn't the it wasn't the win. It was the story and the journey to get there. Yeah. And that, those are the highlights for me when, when you look at it and you go, yes, you won. And everybody sees that. But 
knowing the process and the journey to get there, that's when you just go, oh my God, that is yeah. well worth and, it. And as you say, the, the, the easiest time is on the course, isn't it? It's all those other hours off the course that is the challenge for that lad, the, the yeah, sounds of it. A hundred percent. The amount of times I used to say that to him, that let's just get you to the course because that's when you excel. It's the bits off the course that, that are stopping you. And, and he, we got him into his own little bubble with a nice bit of balance. It wasn't too intense. Nice bit of balance, and he was in a good place, and he was bouncing back and forth, and it was great. And then the performance comes on the back of it. Yeah. But I think it's overlooked the off the away from the performance. It was interesting that you, you mentioned one of your successes was that young lad up at, you know, in that tournament. Yeah. Would you say that's the youngest anybody should have performance coaching? Or do you, you know... Yeah. There'll be people listening to this thinking, oh, my lad's not a bad footballer or not a bad tennis player or not a bad cricketer or yeah. my daughter's fantastic netball player or gymnast or what, yeah. you know, where do you think, you know, when would you say to somebody, you know what, let me let, let me just have an hour talking to this? Yeah, it, that is a great question. Um, and without, <laughs> without pushing it, I've just been speaking to Greg and we're going to roll out some talks and one of them is going to be focused on that being a parent of a high-performing child. And that young lad, James, he's, he's a prime example. The reason I'm working with him, and, I, and I've carried on working with him with Underpin, with the hope that actually, do you know what? He has said he'd love to play for a living and he loves the game. So I'd love him one day to become an Underpin client. Um, but he, basically his dad said to me, I just want to be his dad. And yes, I play golf and I love it. And I'll think, uh, and I'll try and help him as best as I can. But I'm his dad, and I just don't want to be that. I'm a dad or coach. He said, I just want to enjoy being his dad. Dunk, take it on. And what what do you say to, you know, there's always this. I mean, I've seen it in uh, my lad plays in the 14th football. I've I've seen some parents who, you could say, get carried away on the sidelines. <laughs> you know, what what, yeah, what yeah. do you as a sp- performance yeah. coach? What do you say to parents? Um, you know, what would you say to those parents who are watching their children playing mm. sport? Yeah, it, it, do you know, it's so hard because it, it, it's your blood. You, you have that emotional attachment. So it, it takes great discipline for a parent to stand there and go, God, this is amazing. God, I want him to be the best. I want him to do that. But to then refrain from ste- stepping over that line, it's such a hard discipline, but it's a very important one. And your your son or daughter needs to know that you're there dad or mum and that's where it remains and that's why I think it's becoming becoming important or is important to just have someone else there who they can turn to and talk to sit down I've, I've had a lot of youngsters who I've worked with high performing youngsters where they we've had a great relationship and I'll always filter back where I feel it's appropriate to the parents so they know where we're at and what we're working on because it's very important. They're, they're a massive part of the journey. They're the ones who are the taxis who are saying, have you got your drinks bottle? Have you That's got right. your sandwiches? Have you got this? Yes. You know, without, They're the managers, basically. Um, so they play a massive role. But just understanding your role, it, your role is a parent, not to be a coach. And some parents might be good at that sport, so they can offer a little bit of extra advice, but it's just about dipping in. But whether that son or daughter has a good day or a bad day, they they should know that I'm not judged based on that because I am always son or daughter, and they're always mum and dad. And I think it's just about understanding those roles. And have you found 
you know, with a lot of the golfers you work with now, obviously, are, are, are adults. Mm. Again, do you still find there's parental input there? Do they, uh, and is that welcomed? Yeah, yeah, there is still a parental inco- um, input. Is it welcomed? Uh, at times, yeah. Yeah, it is. It's, it gets tough. For, fortunately, with the lads that we have, we don't really... The, the parents are fantastic, and we've met the most of the parents, um, and they play a great role. And they, at the end of the day, the parent wants the best for the child. Mm. Sometimes their their enthusiasm gets the better of them a bit, but it comes from a good place. Uh, but does it overstep the mark? Sometimes when a parent, I don't experience this really anymore, but in the past I've experienced it where my messages have been mixed up back to the child or they will step in the middle. And you're kind of like, no, you... you, you you, you're not employing me, but you are bringing me on board as a team member. Please don't do that and not trust what I'm doing. I'll always give you the feedback and information that you require, but please allow me to do my role. Because if I stepped on your toes and said, don't do that as a dad or a mum, you'd turn around and go, hold on a second, this is not your child. So it's a two-way thing. But I've been very fortunate to have good relationships with parents, but you, you do... You do see it, Chris. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's <laughs> you can't see, but he's smiling. <laughs> yeah. um, all right, let's sign off with a, a message for, for the listeners. Old, young, in sport or in business, what can people do today to improve their performance? Um, I think, do you know what? We're sat in the wonderful offices here at Black's and the office is filled with bodies, as all the other offices are that we're overlooking. Um, and that's fine. But how many of those people are engaged? And that's something that I work hard on, tirelessly on with the teams or individuals that I've been fortunate to work with and do work with now. It's one thing stood on a practice ground. It's one thing walking into an office. It's one thing walking into a meeting or onto a track or jumping into a pool to train, to work on this, to execute, whatever. But if you are not there mentally and you are not engaged, in other words, present, you will never perform to your best. And that is... For me, as a performance coach, that's what I try and get the, the, my players and clients to do is not put in the most amount of hours, but put in the best amount of hours where your engagement is high, the focus is high. And that is critical. And I'd say that to anybody. It, it is something that can be learned. It's not, you're not born with it or not born without it. Mm. You know, ultimately, we're made up of cells and atoms um, and the rest is kind of learned behavior. So I think that's important. And yeah, preparation is huge. That's massive. Um, but I think the other thing, a, a really important message is that we hear about successful people doing well in sport or in business. And we go, oh, I wish, I wish I was that person. I wish I had that, what they had. But I can promise everybody that the successful ones have gone through a dip. You don't get through life without dips, whether it's in professionally or personally. And it's those dips. When you hit that rock bottom, this is going to sound very backward, but I get excited when somebody hits the bottom because the only way is up. And that's when, you know, when you talk about what's the difference between people who make it and don't, a lot of it is that when they hit a dip, they can't take any more and they walk away. If you can get through that dip when you've hit rock bottom and you go, no, 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 I will go one more time. I will will take one more step. I will keep going. That's when you see a a glimmer of light and you're like, it's turning, it's turning, it's turning, it's turning. And it's after that dip that fantastic results come and success comes. But it's just sticking at it. So I would, you know, a message, you're going to have a dip. 
Fantastic. But have a good team around you who can support you, get you through it, and and never ever give up. You you can't you, you can't. It's um, I, th- I don't. You can walk away from something logically and go, you know what? That was my time. That was my chapter. Whatever you want to call it, and start a new chapter. I did it with playing. I, you know, I stepped away from playing. I didn't miss it because I was fortunate to go into a fantastic new chapter. But it's about putting good people around you whether it's a friend, a great friend or a great family member or family members or professional team or whatever it is, have good people around you because you don't necessarily need them a lot when you're flying, but we don't always fly. Sometimes we're on the ground and we just can't get off the ground and we're struggling and, and sometimes we go a bit bit lower and a bit lower. So those times you need to turn to those good people and they help you get back on track. Great. Duncan, fantastic, thank you. I mean, obviously... Uh, people might have listened to this and think, well, uh, you know, I need, uh, I need to speak to you. <laughs> How do people engage with you? Uh, I mean, uh, people can, if they want to contact Duncan, can go through me, obviously, by podcast yeah. at com. Drop me an email, any any questions or inquiries, I'll forward on straight away. But how how would you ideally like people to contact you, Duncan? Yeah, through, really through Underpin, Chris. Um, yeah. You know, I've got, it's Duncan McCarthy, at, um, Duncan at underpinsports.com. Um, okay. Or visit the website, underpinsports.com. We've got some fantastic corporate partners on board um, who we have, we want to create a real strong journey with them. Um, I'm just about to start doing a series of talks. Um, we do quite a few talks with our corporate partners and other businesses, um, looking at growing that as well. And, the pub- so, and listeners could come to those talks? Yeah, absolutely. We're going to be rolling that. That'll, that'll be landing soon. So, we'll be rolling that so out. So details on the website soon? They uh, will be, yeah. But if they want, if they want the best sort of details, just an email, duncan at underpinsports.com. Yeah, okay, so you, you heard it there. Uh, duncan, thanks for coming in. I hope uh, you found that interesting, just a little glimpse of what performance coaching is and sports management in this day and age. Obviously, there's a bit more to it meets the eye, and it's interesting that perhaps that sporting world isn't quite as glamorous as I thought, Duncan. Perhaps I'll stick to law. <laughs> Unfortunately but, not. <laughs> uh, thanks for coming in. I appreciate you doing that, first. Appreciate it, Chris. Enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you.